I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Mmm, sure is. <laughs> sure is, okay. How are you? I'm good, how are you? How was your week? Oh, okay. Busy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot going on. Yep, same. Uh, I got a new car. Yep. Did, so that, that, was, did that again. Did that again. I'm trying to count how many... You know, I should have done this before we... Uh, started talking but you've had how many cars since i've known you no since my, you since the first car your grandma helped you buy yeah. oh, god <laughs> right yeah she did she sure did oh was that shady no oh but i'm thankful for her yeah. rest in peace uh, uh so my one two three, <laughs> four i don't know seven or eight not a lot i think i've had like at least 20. Yeah, you've had a lot. Probably more, maybe like 25. Uh, I mean, I, but I hate car shopping. I don't... Yes, I can see why. I think the process of getting the new car is the worst part. Mm -hmm. But the idea of finding something you like is fun. But and then getting it. But sure. the process is shitty. Although, um, this most recent transaction was pretty swift mm -hmm. um yeah so thank but, goodness for a good excellent credit <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. uh yesterday we went to see a movie yeah though i think we're gonna cover are we i thought so i didn't take notes uh, well, i don't know that we need i don't to. know that you need notes for this film well spoiler the film is called the house next door meet the blacks Two. meet the blacks Two. so we're not you know, confused about where this is in a universe. We saw it at Universal City Walk, the AMC. Because Joseph did not want to go to Baldwin Hills. You know, well, you probably, well. It's fine. That's controversial. No. <laughs> controversial. Well, I'm not going to watch uh, a movie like that in a, an environment where I feel like um, it's going to get a little rowdy, but. That, and, you know, <laughs> that film needed something rowdy to happen, but. It's pretty bad. It is. I don't even know if I want to review it. Oh, okay. Well, no, we can. If you feel, if this, if if the spirit is calling you to do it, we can do it. I don't. I feel bad talking about a film that has people I like. Sure. Mike Epps and Cat Williams. Mm -hmm. I, what's his name? I thought it was funny too. Uh, Lil Duval. Oh, Lil Duval's funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I just it. It's bad. It's really bad. And I was starting to think while I was on the toilet earlier that I think Mike Epps is one of those people, especially like my age, mm -hmm. my age range, where I think he's just part of the culture and we all think like, oh, Mike Epps is so funny. Mike Epps is so funny. But it's like, is he, he's really just kind of known for like the Friday sequels and he has yeah. a few sort of like, you know, known uh, lines that he's had. But I don't know that I think that he has this amazing comedic portfolio. I don't think... I've thought about this as we were driving home. You know, compared to... Because it's... This is a parody universe. Because the first film, Meet the Blacks, is um, The Purge. It's kind of riffing on that. And there's a clip shown in this of uh, from the film, the classic black exploitation film, Bla Blackula. Uh, so that that's clearly where he's riffing from. Um, but... You know, this just has nothing on the Wayans brothers. 
you know, something like a haunted house. Oh no! I mean, you know, those are. I'm not going to say that those are great films, but the first haunted house where what's his face is having sex with the Annabelle doll was pretty great. Was, and and you know, to cast the net out even further, um, for comparison's sake, something like Boo, uh, Medea's the Medea Halloween film, the first one at least. You know, with the supporting cast members, there there's some very funny people that had moments that made that watchable. Sure. Um, the sequel, Boo 2, no. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think what this needed was an actual script. I don't think there was. If there was a script, it was like 20 pages long. And they let these very notable people uh, kind of just riff off of each other. And there are moments I chuckled, but they're very few and far between. And the... I just realized Mike Epps' middle name is Elliot. So shout out to my brother-in-law. Yeah, the bulk of the movie is... We're going to review it, so it doesn't matter. But it's just like, yeah, it It, it just feels like it's mostly improv. I mean, you have to go in thinking it's going to be silly. And to me, it had promise at first. Like, there was even a sense of the burbs in there. Um, And, you know... Dion Taylor has become, I think, somewhat of a notable director uh, with The Intruder and uh, what's that movie he did with Michael Ely and Hilary Swank? Um, I can't remember. Infidel, not Infidelity. Wow. Anyhow. Anyhow. Moving on. So you, well, I, I guess we should start off the way we have been, which is uh, shitting on Drag Race Down Under and how much we don't like it. So this most recent episode, Who Went Home? Fatal was the oh, name. Oh, Fatal, Sorry. yeah. Um, Who Went Home? Uh, the only one that I had an affinity for, which was Electroshock. That's right. He was my favorite. Well, I didn't think he would win, but I did like him the most in and out of drag. Especially when they tried very hard to, to place this underdog, um, the, the underdog parameters that they shellac on people. I don't want to repeat what we've said the last five times, but I think uh, Ketamine, Ketamine rubs me the wrong way because he reminds me of this variety of gay male who's like... Of the what? Of the Caucasoid? The Caucasoid persuasion (laughs) who is not the most attractive, probably really insecure because his bot, you know, he's shaped like a stack of VHS tapes, but then he's mean-spirited, um covets a lot of the sort of like standard beauty tropes and, yeah and but then and then even his name he spells ketamine like it's a play on the drug which is spelled m-i-n-e uh, or it ends with m-i-n-e but he spells his like mean m-e-a-n mm-hmm. so it's like you live up to your name you're you don't seem like a very nice person but then in the confessionals we get moments of vulnerability and to me that's like you can throw that shit away. It's it's inauthentic. I don't care. Well, the thing is, I, we all are all, we all are vulnerable. So it just is um, unfortunate that when you see that side of people, you realize that the persona they project onto the world really does disqualify a sense of empathy I'm supposed to be building for you. Right. That, <laughs> but I just I don't know. It just bothers me. Even the name. I mean, it's like boozy badass being like a little baby or something. It's like, well, why'd you call yourself badass if you? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think what's most disappointing about uh, ketamine is the treatment of Electroshock, considering that... Uh, Electra works for ketamine. And is her friend. Uh, 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 well, so they say. It didn't seem like it. Electra definitely played that up like 
Electro seemed to honor their friendship more yeah. than Ketamine. Did. And definitely shows himself as the bigger person. So uh, now we have the top four, and I don't I'm not rooting for any of these. I'm hashtag none of y'all because <laughs> I don't think any of them seem like winners. Certainly not interesting. And then there's a clip of the next episode where Rue is calling someone the future of drag. Oh, God. I'm, you know, I think it's just, it's getting to the point of recycled phrases that have become meaningless. Like the words, you know, gourmet or... Or diva. Or prestigious. Um, moving on to the or HBO... iconic. Okay. Moving on to HBO Max's legendary. Oh, no. For a second. Kit, where... The Art Simone thing. What happened? How did this person just come back and there's been no uh, explanation? I think maybe we'll find out if there's a reunion or I, something. I don't know. It, me, it'll be like how Willem got kicked off and then it's going to take like 10 years for us to know why. But there's even... Le- they played that up with Willem though. This is this to me seems like Rue has gotten tired of... Yeah, it's... Rue's final decision, sure, but this is beyond RuPaul at this point. Who, where, who the, who's holding the purse strings? Who's making the final decisions? Because he didn't seem to have, doesn't seem to have any affinity for Art Simone. Well, I don't have the answer to that. Um, but anyway, moving on to HBO Max's Legendary, which I still really enjoy. Yeah. But I'm so upset. The House of Tishi uh, went home. That was, a, I've been thinking a lot about that too, and I, I, they were the strongest house of that season. From the beginning. Yes, and consistently. And consistently. Okay, this is what the problem is, the scoring. Yes. And it's twofold. One, these judges and their bullshit-ass scores are infuriating. And I know Bob and Monet have a podcast called Sibling Watchery where they review Legendary and that's like their number one gripe on the show is about the show. Well, is it's so that their judging is so inconsistent, arbitrary, and arbitrary, and it's like I don't understand why. Okay, so for example, Law Roach, oh, very yes, who's the most frustrating? Yes, well, Jamila is frustrating. Well, Jamila, well, we'll get to her. Law's frustrating because he is the fashion person, mm-hmm. so I wish he would just judge the fashion, right? But it's like from one house to the next he is deciding like based on a feeling or a, or a, or a look someone gave that he doesn't like what they did mm-hmm. or i don't like that you were being you know not humble so mm-hmm. i'm gonna score you lower i don't like that it doesn't make sense i agree then jamila she throws out tens like <laughs> they they grow on trees or she'll say like i know you have a lot of potential so i'm gonna give you a nine even yeah, though yeah. the performance was only worth a six. And then Megan the Stallion's the opposite. Mm-hmm. She will give people lower scores than maybe what they deserve because she's like, I know you can do better, so this should motivate you. Yeah. The only one who I think, and this should be no surprise because she's the one who actually is oh, like a ballroom by far icon, is uh, Naomi. Yeah. I think her critiques and scores are fair and accurate. And then these guest judges oh who have a no business, li- not not a single one, I think, season two so far has been qualified. Adam Lambert? I know. Adam De- Lambert. Demi Lovato. Demi Lovato. <laughs> What's the joke Lady Bunny said about Demi Lovato? Something about don't bring spoons to her house, I think. Yeah, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, infuriating. And then the guest judges are often the ones who are the tiebreakers. Yeah. 
Yeah. So, so the the Tishi thing is so unfortunate because they weren't the lowest scored ever, like, ever. But they they didn't have uh, tens across the board this time. And but okay, but here's the other thing we didn't mention. This so because of the scoring, the way it goes is they get a score for the house, mm -hmm. and then they have individual that, challenges. Yeah, that's what I was getting to. Yeah. So oftentimes the so what has happened on many episodes is the team with the lowest house score usually ends up winning because they won one of these auxiliary challenges. And boost their points. And yeah. it boosts their points. And then causes some of the other people that did just fine that week to fall into the bottom and have to battle. Or better than fine. <clears throat> or better than Yeah, and Tishi did better than fine. And I really hate how the narrative changes. So the next episode, the coaches are saying, like, House of Tishi, you know, they were at the top and they had one bad week. No, they didn't have a bad week. But that becomes the fabric of the narrative, is that they had, they, they failed. But they didn't. All because of these... This bullshit this scoring. This stupid But, so, if you... And then, what was her name? Simone, who walked off the stage, which I'm actually very happy that she did, and had La Roche out there looking like a fool screaming after her. But... Yeah, I think she was justified in walking off the because stage. Because it is some bullshit. But, the, you know, both La Roche and Megan the Stallion came back at her saying, what, like, you, you didn't do the best, you didn't deserve it. But, in actual ballroom, when there is a battle, that is it. There's not this like rigmarole where the, this scoring system where your house, it, it there isn't. A, yeah, they wouldn't have been in the bottom. There wouldn't have been. You in didn't the have this bullshit scoring. <laughs> because yes, they the best would be the best because that is the rubric. But then they muck it all up with this bullshit, and then it's it's just certainly disappointing. And then I'm very tired of hearing, like, it's $100,000 at stake. Yeah, that you have to share for, split for $100,000 is not a lot of money. So stop... Certainly not when you split it five ways so after taxes. Stop <laughs> dangling that carrot because right. most of these people might be out here because $20,000 is not a life changer. Maybe a hundred. But... They've made a lot a of sacrifices. Point. They've they had to go to... Whether they're... I think they filmed season two in LA. Most of them are probably not from LA. Like... Yeah, these people have made large sacrifices. It is a tremendous opportunity on a major platform, but still, like, yeah, stop bringing up 100000 And it's their art, and it's their creativity. For you to just arbitrarily be like, well, I didn't like this, and you failed this week. Uh, I, yes, something needs to happen. They need to revamp how they judge that. I think I'm passionate, or I'm, like, I sound passionate about this show because I. it is really great watching these people who are so talented that I think they deserve better judging. I think they need to wipe everyone off except Laomi. Laomi yeah, I agree. And have and why isn't Deshaun a judge? Right. Deshaun is so talented. Why can't he be a tiebreaker at least? No, he should be a judge. But I mean some He's an amazing MC. He should be, I mean I know in ballroom the MC doesn't judge, but like he certainly he should be the tiebreaker. Yeah. Not Adam Lambert. I know. Not uh, Chance the Rapper's brother, who was like that, is outrageous. This, Taraji, that was embarrassing. Tiffany Haddish wasn't as embarrassing, but it's just like, how are these people qualified? It it feels a little crunchy, but we're spending way too long on that. Sure. Uh, okay, so you finished season one of the dirt, the the television series Dirty John, right? From twenty eighteen, we're still so way behind on that. But what was your overall thought? Because you didn't know. Anything. Anything. And I and you knew that I had listened to the podcast. Yeah. 
So you, I think you knew a little bit, but maybe you had forgotten, or maybe I never told you like the. I think you made it, might have, but it didn't register. Like watching. Okay, so we need to be quicker, I think. But first, tell me what you think about the actual story. I mean, it's fascinating. I mean, all of that kind of bullshit is fascinating to me. But it was also very frustrating, and I think Connie Britton did an excellent job in bringing me to uh, <laughs> levels of frustration because. I mean, although I don't come from a wealthy background, you know, I can see my own mother making those kind of decisions that are just like, what the hell? Um, and I liked both the daughters who are spoiled brats, of course, but I like both those actresses a lot, uh, Juno Temple and Julie Garner. But uh, it was frustrating. But, I, you know, the moment where all is revealed and uh, the younger daughter stabs him to death uh, was very good. Um, and I liked, I came away really thinking that was an interesting, because her explanation is what, that she was into The Walking Dead, and so she had fantasized about what to do in a zombie apocalypse or something so along she, those lines. Yeah. So I think that's a really interesting take on how our uh, violent, obsessed culture can also prepare us mentally in ways for things. That's interesting that that's what spoke to you. I think what spoke to me about the story and then the television show, which mimics the story, I think, about 90%. Sure. Is that, and I think we feel this with, like, our parents oftentimes and friends where we get frustrated about their romantic inclinations and mm. their willingness or unwillingness to move on. But really, it's more complicated than just, like, you know, your, your husband, your boyfriend, your girlfriend is awful, you should leave them. Well... I mean, based on what I see out here in these streets, like, it's hard for people to move on. It's mm -hmm. hard when, you know, it's not so easy to say, well, if you're unhappy, you should leave. Well, I mean, if that were the case, we'd all be single. Like, I, right. it's not that easy. And she had her reasons. And the reality is, I don't need to explain to anyone why I'm with you. Right, right. I, like, I don't need to explain to anyone. And maybe people see the things that you do and think, like, hypothetically that, you know, I don't deserve that. But it's like, you don't know what kind of relationship we have. You don't know what we talk about. You don't know. So please don't tell me what to do with my life. And what was really powerful to me about, uh, I just forgot her name, Deborah. I think so. Is that her name? She wasn't complaining to her family. No. It wasn't like she was calling her daughters up and crying on the phone like, oh, John did this to me and John did that to me. No. She kept that shit to herself. That's true. So it's like, if I'm not riddling or saddling my loved ones friends and family with my problems then why do you feel so free to like try to fix my problems for me sure you know yeah so i think that's what really spoke to me about her is like it's so easy to say oh she's so stupid how could she stay with him we don't know i don't think she chose to short share her story after so then when we see the details we're like girl how could you do it but in the moment it was frustrating watching how awful her daughters were about it yeah because your mom clearly created a very successful business for herself and supported you two bitches. So mm -hmm. it's like... I don't think she came across as stupid. Even, you know, brilliant people make stupid mistakes or choices. But And I like that it's set up, you know, because on paper she's married four times before. And, of course, automatic people will automatically judge that. But, you know, trying to meet men and find companionship, like, these men are trash out here so yes showing her going on a bunch of dates and making the attempt and i have had uh older female friends 
you know, it's heterosexuals in the in the dating scene. It's like it's hard. Like it's hard. I and, could totally see myself like at my current age, if I were single and I'm well off, and I meet some young hottie who is just like catering to my every need, and I know that he's probably like gassing me a little bit and I'm probably like tricking a little bit and it's like but I'm aware mm -hmm. like I'm aware that this person who's you know like a little prize and who's doing all this shit for me it comes at a price like yeah so I bought you that Jaguar convertible and yes I pay for your credit card bill and but that's the exchange and I don't know that this woman after the fact didn't evaluate that and thought well in the end he makes me feel nice mm -hmm. i enjoy being with him from what we saw he was very kind to her and i think that because she was a consultant on the television mm -hmm. show i think it was important for her to show that like he wasn't awful to her right yeah he was the only time he got out a little out of pocket was when she challenged him mm -hmm. but that's nothing you know you can't handle for 95 percent of the time he was a doting partner and i think Okay, so I let him drive around in my Maserati. He stole a little 80000 from my bag, which they never actually explained what happened to that money. Right. In the podcast, it does explain. I, I think he may have purchased a home somewhere with it. But either way, if this lady's a millionaire and all she had to do was spend a couple hundred thousand to be happy for a time, I don't know that that's not worth it. Right. It, it, yes, the collateral damage of her children being very upset with her has value. Sure. But they're also adults, two of whom rely on their mother to live their lavish lifestyle. And she had a son, yeah. The sons seem more independent, yeah. but... Um, it, I, rem I was reminded several times of the film Boyhood, um, the Patricia Arquette character in that, as a woman in Texas trying to find a man, and... <laughs> Impossible. Okay, I, I want to move on. So, you're planning on going to Cannes in July. Yeah. And you've... I understand some announcements were made and you've done some collating and now you have your top 10 most anticipated films from Cannes. Yes, I won't take a lot of your time. Uh, Me or the listener? <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. Well, I guess you. Well, you uh, already have, so let's... No, you. you this is your chance to... Uh, to shine. To shine, so uh, go ahead. Well, no, we, you know, we mentioned this last time. I was waiting for the director's Fortnite sidebar to announce uh, their program. And then uh, this past Thursday, uh, the official CAN program added an additional nine titles, none of which would made it into the actual competition. So I think it's looking like they'll close out at 24 films competing for the Palme d'Or. Um, but of those new announcements, very, very excited for a new Gaspar Noe film called Vortex that's starring Dario Argento uh, and was filmed in secret during the pandemic. Uh, you know, you know, you know Noe. He did uh, Climax, which was one of my favorite films okay, that yes. year. Uh, Irreversible, uh, Enter the Void, etc. Uh, Irreverse. That makes me think of the Jessica Simpson song, Irreplaceable. Oh. When she was trying to be like a pop star. Totally different tone, <laughs> totally. Uh, so just to, I, you know, I'll run through these because I talked with a few before, but rounding out my top ten, besides Vortex, Benedetta, the lesbian nun film from Verhoeven, uh, Annette, the opening night film with uh, by Leos Carax, uh, and I just watched the Sparks Brothers documentary yesterday, which for the most part I really liked, and I'm very happy that that's coming out before Annette, because uh, they of course did, uh, wrote that in conjunction with Carax and did all the music. That documentary is one of your top ten? No, I'm oh. saying that documentary is releasing before the Cannes Film Festival 
when this major film that they're a part of, they all oh, create. Okay. Um, Red Rocket by Sean Baker. These um, are in no particular order. No, not really. Okay. Just t- Red Rocket by Sean Baker. You know Sean Baker. He did Tangerine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he is revisiting the adult film industry again. If you ever saw his 2012 film Starlet, starring Dree Hemingway, highly recommended. Um, but this is about a kind of washed-out porn star returning to small-town Texas um, with a lot of first-time actors, uh, but it's in the competition. Big deal for Sean Baker. Very excited. Uh, Titan, uh, directed by Julie DeCorno, uh, which is about a man that shows up bruised at an airport claiming to be this kid that disappeared years prior, uh, and the disappeared kid's parents swoop in and pick him up, and then a bunch of murders start happening in the area. Uh, very excited for that. Uh, the Story of My Wife by Ildiko and Yeti, which I read the book, uh, by Milan Fust. Uh, and Yeti, Hungarian uh, filmmaker who won the gold, the Golden Bear for her last film. I'm excited for that. I really like the book. It stars Lea Seydoux. Um, Drive My Car by Ryosuke Hamaguchi, uh, which is based on a short story by Mirakami from the collection Men Without Women from 2017. Uh, love Mirakami, love Hamaguchi. Uh, I know I've talked about Hamaguchi before because you had a, a reaction to me praising Happy Hour, his five-hour opus, uh, from a couple years ago that I love. Uh, he also had one of my favorite films that premiered at Berlin this year, um, Wheel of Fortune and Fantasy, uh, which, unless you had access to Berlin screenings, you know, lots haven't seen, but when that finally comes out, um, that's a vignette-styled film. Um, House Arrest, it's in Un Certain Regard, uh, the latest film by Alexi German Jr. Uh, all I know about is it's a satirical drama. Uh, Alexi German Jr., uh, a fan of his work, probably more of a fan of his father, who's a notable Russian filmmaker. Uh, Hard to Be a God was his um, swan song back in 2013, which is an amazing piece of cinema. Um, the Souvenir Part 2 by Joanna Hogg, uh, which is, of course, the follow-up to the first The Souvenir starring Tilda Swinton and her daughter, Honor Swinton Byrne. Uh, it's a continuation of that tale. Uh, big deal film that's going to be in Director's Fortnite. Obviously, excited to see it. And rounding out my list is another Director's Fortnite title, Medusa, uh, which I think is the second, maybe third film of a Brazilian filmmaker, Anita Roca da Silveira. Uh <laughs> And it sounds fascinating, been following it for a while. It's about a young woman that, along with a bunch of other uh, young women in her area, go out at night and uh, in disguise and beat down any devious women. <laughs> and of course, there's uh, a change of pace for her, as the title would indicate, I believe. All done? Yeah, how was that? Was that painful? Were you listening? Uh, I mean, I can hear you. So, uh, moving on to new projects. No comments on any of those? Uh, I think you summed up nicely whatever you said, and I'll, I'll wait to hear what you think after you watch them. Uh, so, new projects. There's something from Todd Haynes. Yes. Clap, clap, clap your hands. New Todd Haynes movie. Very excited. Uh, and he's reuniting with Julianne Moore, uh, also starring Natalie Portman, in a project called May December. Um... And, you know, I think Haynes is almost always... I didn't love Wonderstruck, which Julianne Moore is in. Uh, but, you know, safe, uh, far from heaven. Uh, you can't get better than those two, I think. Uh, very, so I'm very excited for that. Tyler Perry posted something on Instagram last week, or a few days ago, 
it was like a graphic for a movie poster for Why Did I Get Married Again? Mm-hmm. And then he wrote, should we revisit this? Which so, means conversations have had to have already happened. And within like an hour, it had like thousands of comments and a hundred thousand likes. And of course, you know, I would be very excited for that only if Janet Jackson returns to play Patricia Agnew. Well, there's who our cat is named after. Uh, or a cat is named after. Aggie. Uh, <laughs> he'd be a fool not to, to do it without her, but... Well, I'm, I'm sure he would love to have her. It would just be whether she wants to do it. Which, I don't know, maybe she would. She already did three movies with him, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Lastly, for new projects, there's... Oh, no, there's more than that. Okay, The Hand of Orlock. Oh, so, you know, uh, I only bring that up because... Well, I like the... It's based on a classic novel by Maurice Renard that has been made many times in the films. Probably my favorite version is the Peter Lorre uh film Mad Love but it's about a pianist who loses his hands and he gets a hand transplant and they're the hands of a serial killer and so he starts killing people uh, <laughs> which you know perfect for Peter Lorre uh, but Melville Poupeau is uh, going to be in a new version of The Hands of Orlock uh, French language uh, and I like Melville Poupeau so I'm excited for that okay there's something called Nobody Likes Me yes uh, a pair of Czech filmmakers Peter Kazda and Thomas Weinreb in 2016, they directed a film called I, Olga Hepnerova, which is about this mass, this 22-year-old mass murderer in 1973 Czechoslovakia uh, who rammed a uh, huge truck into a crowd of people and killed several of them, becoming the country's first serial killer. <laughs> and it's kind of about her experiences and her trial. Uh, stark black and white film. Uh, it was on John Waters' top 10 films of the year. Uh, very intriguing and interesting. Uh, they've had a new... F- project that I've been following for a while called Nobody Likes Me. Uh, It's finally in production. Uh, It's described, it's a contemporary set tale, it's described as Antigone and details a romance uh, where one of the uh, participants is a secret intersexual. Okay. Lastly for new projects, Midnight in the Switchgrass. Oh my god, so I just happened to see that this trailer dropped uh, for a detective thriller starring Bruce Willis and Megan Fox called Midnight in the Switchgrass, which you'll have to look it up, but it's directed by Randall Emmett, who is a producer of many Scorsese movies, but you might know him as the man that 50 Cent dragged uh, on social media for a long time, and we got that brief gem of, uh, I'm sorry, Fofty. Do you remember that? No. I mean, it kind of. Oh, that was probably several years back, but... It looked like a hot mess, uh, and I will uh, look forward to reviewing it. Next, talking about films you watched this past week that we didn't review, Risky Business. Well, just that I happen to watch on my own. Yeah, I've never seen Risky Business, so I've been covering the Tribeca Film Festival, so I've had little time to watch anything, you know, fun, but I did fit in Risky Business. Um, you know, that's a 1983 classic that brought Tom Cruise to prominence. Um, You were kind of watching some of it in the background. Uh, I mean, I only caught the, you know, famous scene of him dancing in his undies. Mm -hmm. And the opening when he's with his friends talking about sex. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that was it. Uh, I don't even know. Oh, and then a, what appears to be a black trans woman shows up mm -hmm. uh, as the sex worker who was hired and then him trying to get rid of her. And then she But then they go on an adventure. 
she he drives her back home, but she gives him the number of Rebecca De Mornay. Do they end up having? Oh, and oh, and then I did see that because he has sex with her, but then can't pay. Right. Yes. To go. So get, how does that end up? Um, well, they end up being involved, and she she her pimp is basically Joe Pantoliano. Uh, she has a brothel of basically open up in his in Tom Cruise's parents' home while his parents are out, and. Uh, makes all the money that he needs to pay for the car that he wrecked because it goes into the river. Um, and mean, and then she takes, him, she takes him off on this fantasy, like having sex on a train, which is also a famous scene. Um, and then when he comes home, all the other hookers cleaned his house out. And all that money he made from this, this night of pleasure with the brothel uh, as you know, the pimp of the house, he has to pay Joe Pantoliano, Pantoliano back to get all of the possessions returned. And that's basically the thrust of that story. Um, it was, you know, like some things, it's like, why is this a big deal? Um, but very frank about sexuality for its time. Um, Paul Brickman directed it, and the only other theatrical release he did is a film in 1990 that I really like, called Men Don't Leave, starring Jessica Lange and I remember Chris O'Donnell, uh, which we have a copy of and it made me want to rewatch it. But he's probably better known as, a, he had a f more success as a screenwriter. That same year of Risky Business, he penned Deal of the Century, which William Friedkin directed, starring Sigourney Weaver, and Chevy Chase and Gregory Hines, which was kind of a failure, but, uh, you know, I put that film on periodically. Next is something called Holler. Yes, uh, Nicole Regal directed film, uh, opened this week, starring Jessica Barden as a down-and-out girl in Ohio uh, who takes on illegal work in a scrap metal business to try to pay for her schooling. Um, very somber film. Uh, besides the specifics of the location and the uh, class of people it's trying to depict, Really nothing new, but a, good, a good Jessica Barden performance, who's an actress that I've liked in several things recently, including um, Pink Skies Ahead, and she's in that film Jungle Land with Charlie Hunnam, where the brothers are boxing, and she's the girl they're transporting. Okay. Lastly, a movie called Censor. Yeah, so I saw that out of Sundance this year in 2021. and didn't love it. It got very well-reviewed. Um, but I rewatched it again in anticipation for reviewing it, and you didn't want to see it because you weren't impressed with what you saw the first time. And I just oh that film yeah. yes I just I I very much love that period of the video nasties of what the UK tried to do in the early eighties to put all these films on a list, and so it it um, focuses on this woman played by Nev Algar who's a uh, watches these movies and makes the required cuts so that they can be put on VHS and, uh, and not be banned, etc. Uh, and in the background, we learn that her sister was kidnapped years ago and they don't know where they find her, where to find her, but all of a sudden she sees this actress in a video nasty and she believes that's her. And then about the midway point, the film, I think, loses all its energy and gets a bit ridiculous, um, which I like ridiculous. It just it just didn't have any kind of real energy or menace for revisiting such a lucrative period where you could do so much. I just mm. hmm. 
All right, well, moving on to our topic today, <laughs> you watched a documentary called The Kids. Which premiered on June 11th at Tribeca, the Tribeca Film Festival. This documentary is about the film Kids. It's about the, cat, the actors, the non-professional actors who appeared in the film. Kind of, it's kind of like a where are they now. What year was that film? 1995, it came out at the Cannes Film Festival. So what would you like to say about this documentary? What inspired you to want to talk about it? Well, I did try to get you to watch it, which I believe you didn't have time for. But um, just so the two kids that are in it, Justin Pierce and Harold Hunter, that died, that um, they died many years after the documentary. Pierce, I think, killed himself in the Bellagio or another Las Vegas hotel in oh, two thousand. Okay, and Harold Hunter died of a cocaine overdose in 2006 but you were also familiar with them because we recently watched Soleil Moon Fry's documentary Kid 90 yes and she had relationships with those young men oh that's York. right when she goes off to college in New York yeah yeah she yeah. got connected with them and there's a she talks about mourning the loss of them as well um Really quickly, could you tell me, like, what are some of the shocking moments from the documentary? Like, things that you learned that... Well, nothing shocking to me. It's okay. just distressing and upsetting. Um, what about for... I've never seen kids. You've never seen kids? I know that it involves, like, kids engaging in, like, risky behavior, sex, drugs, uh, someone's HIV positive, I think. Okay, so let, let's talk about kids for a second. So I remember, that came out in 95, so I was in fifth grade. And maybe a year later, when it was on VHS, um, it was one of those films that, you know, everybody snuck over to somebody's house to watch. So I remember watching Kids and remember being shocked uh, at the sexuality. Because it opens with Leo Fitzpatrick playing a kid named Telly, who it's his desire to... Uh, deflower as many virgins as possible. That's the thrust of the film. And it's, it opens on him having sex with a 12-year-old girl. Um, and then going about the city and doing drugs and blah, 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 blah. Uh, and then one of his ex-partners, Jenny, played by Chloe Sevigny, um, gets a, a positive HIV test result. So and it's, it's the 90s. There's no way to get a hold of anybody. So she's trying to move around the city uh, in his wake to tell him that while he's having sex with all these people. And I, I haven't watched the movie probably since then. I do own it. Um, and I would have liked to have time to rewatch it after the documentary. But it, I, what I remember is that she, uh, it, I, th I believe it ends with her being raped, passed out at a party. Oh, wow. So it, it's a distressing film. It got a lot of attention. A um, lot of uh, critical applause. It was the first film of Larry Char Larry Clark, uh, who was in his 50s, I believe, at the time. Um, who, you know, as we see... So we talk to a lot of the surviving members of the cast, you know, people that have gone on with their lives but had this very rocky, dysfunctional youth li living on these streets and getting into the skateboarding culture that... Larry Clark ingratiated himself upon. And then there's uh, Harmony Kareen, who became, who's become a very notable film director himself, who is 19 years old and uh, was at NYU, um, who wrote the screenplay for kids. But those two, you know, ingratiated themselves upon this community for a very long time uh, and got these kids to do all kinds of stuff. The drugs that you're seeing happen in the film, it's, you know, this documentary is confirming it's real. Um, so it's, it also, sh the documentary, um, has a clip from the Cannes Film Festival press conference after the film, uh, 
premiered there, and the international press was very concerned with what they saw. And it was a, it's a terrible press conference because uh, they it, it, it's just people were distressed, and Larry Clark just flat out lies about the drugs because these kids are smoking weed and they're getting all fucked up, um, and probably the sex. Uh, anyhow, um, where was I going with that? So, well, so it, a lot of it really is these people surviving, kind of paying homage to Justin and Harold. So what I thought was interesting when you were attempting to explain it the other day was that you said some of those actors only received one thousand dollars. Oh, so the the film, yeah, the main cast they kind of received a thousand dollars, and that was it. And Harold Hunter, um, who who is the the black kid that died of the overdose, you know, is. People comment. He was very excited. He could go buy these expensive new shoes. Um, so that made me start thinking about like how, you know, obviously they were exploited. And there's notably, infamously, in that film, a scene where he shows his penis. Okay. Like, like they they convinced him to get naked, and that's a very infamous scene in that movie as well. So you have like th this. I wish the documentary had gone further into like the fetishization of of black bodies and stuff that's going that also is going on there because after the film premiered a can it was a, a runaway success for you know these people had careers on it they had grown you know these people thought they had grown close to them completely cut off ties sure and left them somebody commented you know we were left where all of these people thought this was going to be a break for us and justin and harold both moved to la for a time to try to be actors but there was no one there for them. And uh, at the Independent Spirit Awards, uh, I think Justin Pierce won Best new Debut. And there's a really touching speech that b both those kids give. You know, and just, I don't know. It... But getting back to the idea that they were exploited, I started thinking about the transition from a film like Kids to what we see now with not only reality TV, but social media. And I think when we were talking about the documentary, the kids documentary a few days ago, this idea of like fame in the wake of like reality TV or social media and things, people, videos going viral. So the, the cast members from kids who suffered the most seemed to not, like they weren't well equipped to deal with the attention they were receiving which snowballs into behaviors and activities that are destructive, right? Right. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess for the remaining, you know, 15 minutes we have, I thought, like, it might be interesting to talk about this idea of putting oneself in a position where garnering a lot of attention is possible. Because if I think about... Every time you post something on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, you make a YouTube video, it could go viral. Sure. Right? Well, I think some people, that's the hope. Too. And, the, and some people hope for that. But are people really equipped to, under, like, to manage what it would mean to become very notable overnight with no financial benefits? Right. And I think it's interesting growing up in Los Angeles, living here now, seeing a lot of people who want nothing more than the attention that comes with some sort of celebrity, good or bad. And then I just think about so many shows we watch and the, like the positions people put themselves in, like the really negative 
personas they allow to be placed on them in exchange for like the slightest bit of shine. Mm-hmm. So then I so then I thought maybe to bring it back to us, like what what do you think about the idea that it could happen one day that you are notable? And how would that make you feel? Like does it stress you out? Does the prospect of trying to go to, you know, tender greens to get lunch and having people stop you, is that or having people comment on everything you do and um, you know, I, I, I don't have a problem ignoring, uh, comments on social media, but I, I would not want to give up anonymity, but also I'd, I'd have to believe that, or I'd like to believe that if I became notable, it would be over something positive and something of a worthy nature or cause and would hopefully benefit me in other ways but it's not something I desire or, or want but uh, I, I would be bummed out having to give up certain things okay that's interesting because a lot of people say they don't want it but then you're doing things that could make it possible so sure. so it's like how do we reconcile that well I, I, to me it's uh, there are other things that uh, you would hope to spin it off into right or to do because you know you know, I, I don't know if you want to talk about what our eventual plans are re- regardless, but, you know, creating something that could be a hub for others and, uh, in, in like, queer and, uh, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't know that I want to talk about all that right now. Okay, it, well... But, well, but I think it's a good general thing that, like, yes, you you can continue with the idea that you like the idea of having enough attention that you could shine a spotlight on other people and build a platform right, where right. other voices, you know, are heard. So, yes, I, I agree. I, I think I would, want, um, I would want the attention for that reason as well, to be able to have a voice and share that voice with people who might not have a voice. So there are positive aspects to it, but I... But, but, I think bringing it back to that documentary and hearing about what ultimately happened to a lot of those cast members and people not being equipped to deal with attention, fame, money, I think a nice, you know, if I ever did or if we ever did become notable and get some traction off of something, I think the benefit of being older, already having an education, already being financially stable, already having... You know, we already own a home, and I already drive a nice car, and I'll, you know, we already get to do the things we want to do. I already can go out to eat if I want to, and mm-hmm. there are a lot of things that a lot of people want that we already have. Mm-hmm. So, it's I often joke that my tagline on if I ever become a real housewife uh, of I guess South Bay that might you know how in the opening they all have a tagline. Mm-hmm. Mine would be I don't want more options, I just want nicer things. Okay, which is from AbFab, oh. but. <laughs> That's kind of how I feel about if I ever were to become notable. Like, I don't, I don't need, I only have a couple friends. I don't need more people in my shit trying to get something from me. I don't need, you know, I, I don't need more things. Because I already have all the things that I need and want. Obviously, with more money and more access, my things would be nicer. <laughs> but, so, I, I feel very comfortable that if we ever did become, let's say, famous... It wouldn't manifest in the way it does for a lot of people. Sure. Also, well, yeah, because I I always think about what was that series last year, Love Is Blind, where 
the the one. Oh, the one. Erica. What was her was, name? Was it Erica? It wasn't Erica. The 34-year-old. It's worth looking up, though. Um, but continue. Because I think the aftermath was, of that was, did she move out of Chicago or something? And was it Jessica? It was Jessica. Jessica. Yeah, yeah. she had to leave her hometown because... Pe- yes, that's a good example. She had to leave her hometown because people were so... She represented herself so negatively. That you allow people... Because there's always going to be trolls and haters and, and people that want to cut you down. But if you are shining a light on your as your best self as in, in trying to be... I, I think if you put yourself out there as a clown, then... That is the karmic energy you're going to get back, I guess. Well, they're in ramifications. Like, yeah. if she... I, I don't know what she... I think professional... She had a professional job. Yeah. And it's like, well, now you're notable for something negative. So that certainly can't benefit you as a professional who I think works directly with customers. So that was a poor decision on her part. I also think about um, a season two of The Circle. There was a player named Courtney, a gay black man, who mm-hmm. appeared... I mean, he looked a little elderly, but I think he was, I think he was like 24 or whatever, but he, he just presented himself in a way that I thought was so unfavorable. And it's like, is it worth it, girl? For like, you know, what did he get? Maybe a boost and maybe he went from having 600 Instagram followers to 40,000. But really, what does that get you? Nothing. So, well, it's, you know, it's so hard with me, you know, that our behaviors that we exhibit like that are self-defense mechanisms i think and but but really there's there's no one out there that's really going to try to read behind whatever dispositions or trauma that is causing you to act this way no so and i was thinking about the kids documentary in that like in this world no one gives a shit about what you're doing Right. No one is out here thinking, oh, Joseph, you know, I think that a better use of your finances would be to invest this way, not this way. And, oh, you know, maybe if you did, no one cares. No one is like telling you like, oh, a better career path would be this or let me mentor you here. No one is doing that. You are fully able. I could go right now and lease a Bentley for $3,000 a month. They'll give it to me. Uh-huh. And it makes no financial sense. Right. And I would be in financial ruin mm-hmm. because I wouldn't be able to pay my other bills. They wouldn't stop me. They would hand me that key, fill it up with gas, and let me be on my merry way. Or that you you know, as in as a eight actually as a seventeen year old was allowed to borrow an insane amount of money to go to college with no understanding of what paying that back would look like. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. No one cared. No. Nope. It's just an option that's there for me. Yeah. Or, you know, in the home we live in now, like, you know, getting financing ready and the kind of numbers that they gave us for what we could buy were reckless. Yeah. I mean, it was just reckless. Like, like no, I'm not going to buy a house for that amount. Like, mm-hmm. how would I pay that back? Right. I, I would be under stress. Like, I would constantly be stressed out. It would affect my quality of life. Right. But they don't care. No. Right? The loan officer gets a percentage of the loan amount. So they don't more, give it More the merrier for them, yeah. More the merrier. Take as many hundred thousands as we'll give you. I think what... So when you think about the kids who signed up to do this movie, it's like, well, how much, how responsible is the filmmaker to anything? It's like, I offer, I gave you an opportunity, you're an adult. But you're dealing with these fucked up kids. What's distressing is like the adults in the scenario, the person who knows better is dealing with these fucked up kids. You are changing your style of dress and behavior to walk amongst them and, and then just kind of abandon them. And I think... But that's everything. That is everything, but we need to get to a place where that is not... 
that that shouldn't be seen as okay that you are able to flourish at least for a period off of the backs of others in this sense it's you know kind of like there's a thing in, in, in social work where even just studying a community or asking to for people to take tests to get results like there is a growing movement to you have to give back in some way you you have to and maybe that's something small maybe it's not maybe it's like not cutting off ties or whatever but you can't just you it's what my review of the kids documentary was it really just nailed that kids the 1995 movie is an exploitation film yeah but what you're talking about is integrity yes and you can't like you can't impose integrity on people Right? I mean, that's something that people have to find on their own. And I would suspect most people who are interested in fame and money are not aligned with integrity. So that so then the onus is on the subject, on us, to look out for ourselves and be more careful. Like, no one is looking out for you in any way, shape, or form. As a 42-year-old man who has done all right with his life, I'm here to tell everyone, no one gives a shit about what you're doing. You could... You could go hungry and die in the gutter and people will drive right by and take a photo and share it with their friends. Like, no one cares. And that sounds awful and I'm being extreme, but I think a lot of people out here are being exploited. A lot of shit we see on TV, a lot of these Netflix series and these stupid reality shows, these people are being straight up exploited. All you fools on Instagram, you know, getting half naked to you know, promote a brand. You know, I work for a company that works with micro-influencers and these people don't get anything but the free product Mm -hmm. and a commitment to uh, post about it. So it's like, so you just got half naked on Instagram to then, um, to then like get a free pair of underwear. Like what, what is the, what is the benefit of that? I would argue that there is none. So, you know, we have to evaluate for ourselves. Like, are you okay with possibly everyone you know, all of your coworkers, your family, seeing you half naked so that you got like a free $30 pair of Andrew Christian undies? If you ask me, I would say hell no. So, but but that's on me. Right, right. It, well, yeah, it depends you on know, what you want. Everyone doing sex work, primary, I'm specifically talking about OnlyFans. It's like, that's a huge... I mean, that there's nothing wrong with of course not. with adult no. video making with sex work. I support it, but I also think it's a choice. And who's responsible for making that choice? You clicked "I agree." You uploaded the videos. You placed your bank account information so you can receive the twelve cents a video you make. And it's just like you have to evaluate that. You have to evaluate it. So I'm not ragging on. I didn't watch, I haven't seen kids and I didn't watch the kids documentary, but hearing you talk about it made me think that like we're all out here being exploited and the only person who's really responsible for that is us. Right. But I think that, you know, if, if you have the ability to say something, you should. Oh, hundred percent. And just to be clear, there are people who are exploited, who were manipulated, tricked, who are vulnerable. I'm not talking about those people. I'm talking about people who are actively seeking a certain type of attention, a certain type of right, right. fame, a certain type of notoriety, a certain uh, financial gain. And then when it goes south, it's like, well, the only person to blame is you. Like, you walked into that office looking for something. You moved to L.A. The city chewed you up and spit you out. And now you're mad. Well, 
You should have stayed your ass back in Dayton. Like that's what you should have done. We have to stop uh, the oh. video very or the podcast very shortly. So, what are some final words? Oh, we didn't even get into Housewives and what's his name, Andy Cohen. This will be, you know, we'll do a podcast about reality TV. Okay. Because I have a lot to say about that too. Uh-huh. But, uh huh. But we should say goodbye. Okay. So uh, say goodbye. Uh, 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 au revoir. Oh, you've been saying something else every time. Uh, power to the people. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, love, peace, and hair grease. Oh boy. <laughs>